This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. I hope you had a good weekend. It's Monday, September 28th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. Why children won't get the first round of COVID vaccines. Plus, the New York Times has President Trump's tax returns. But first, today's one big thing. The inside scoop on how Joe Biden and Donald Trump are prepping for their first presidential debate. President Donald Trump and Joe Biden will be meeting face to face for the first presidential debate tomorrow night in Cleveland, Ohio. Alina Trina is a White House and congressional reporter for Axios and has a scoop on how they've been preparing. The president's been practicing with flashcards and preparing with former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie and his personal attorney and former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani ahead of Tuesday's debate. Biden's kind of set aside large portions of his days to have these mock debates. Elena Trina is a White House and congressional reporter for Axios and new author of the Sneak Peek newsletter, Elena Most of the polls show that most voters have already made up their minds about who they're voting for. Some people have already even voted. Voting has started. So why do these debates matter? I think if we look at the conventions, the Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention, it was a huge turning point, especially for the president, where he was able to kind of dominate messaging more and started to eat back at some of the gap that we've seen in polling between him and Biden. And that's exactly what I know Republicans are hoping for after these debates, but also Biden's team has a big opportunity here to show that he is tough. He is a good debater. So it is a big night. It's only the first of three. It's only round one, but lots of preparation going into Tuesday. And what are we seeing in terms of what you think is going to be the most hot button issues? What's going to be talked about at these debates? So healthcare is a huge one, and it actually goes hand in hand with the Supreme Court fight. So the Supreme Court fight, of course, is going to be a massive issue. And I think the way that Democrats are looking at messaging in opposition to Judge Amy Coney Barrett, the president's nominee, is to focus less on her as a person and instead focus on her past rulings, her record, and a big part of that is healthcare. So what do you think is keeping aides from both parties up at night in terms of their worries about Tuesday evening? Well, Nyla, the thing with debates is you can play to their strengths as much as you want to, but it's really the weaknesses that I think resonate most with viewers, and that's what they're trying to avoid. So for the president, it's this idea of overconfidence. He thinks that because he's the incumbent, he can kind of go without taking the debates that seriously or not preparing enough, as well as really coronavirus. That's a big thing that the president doesn't do that well with on messaging, and he sometimes seems to downplay it or minimize the number of people who have died. And that is something that really does not play well with viewers or Republican voters. And then for Biden, he has frequent gaffes. Some people think that it adds to his relatability, but sometimes, as we've seen in the Democratic presidential primary debates, can really chip away at his way of taking charge of the situations. And then also taking the bait. The president 
is very good at getting under people's skin. And so they want to make sure that he knows that he can rise above, not let the president bully him or bulldoze over him and stand his ground. Alina Treen covers the White House and Congress for Axios, and she's the new co-author of the Sneak Peek newsletter as well. Thanks, Elena. Thanks, Nyla. We'll be back in 15 seconds with what we now know about President Trump's tax returns. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Axios Today. So if you're paying attention to the end of the show, you may hear me say, listen to our afternoon podcast recap. Well, its host is here with us now, Dan Permack. Hey, Dan, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. I guess we can call this a September surprise. The New York Times releasing this series of articles on Sunday evening regarding President Trump's tax returns. First of all, there's lots of information in here. I'm going to urge everyone to read the New York Times. But let's just start with your first impression when you saw the story. Uh, It's that number, $750, which Trump apparently paid in income taxes in 2016 and 2017. $750, it's a number all of us can get our heads around. And it's a number we can all think, wait, how much did I pay in taxes? And for most of us, it's more than $750. What do you think are the political implications of all of this? I'm not sure there are huge political implications here. If you go back to one of the debates in 2016, Hillary Clinton talks about his lack of tax payments during certain years, and Trump cut in to say, that makes me smart. So that was already on the table in 2016. I will say this idea that he owes around $400 million to unspecified lenders, which would come due during his theoretical second term, I do think that's going to get some political play. It does beg the very big question, who does he owe money to and what does he have to do to pay it off, especially if he's president? Absolutely. Now, look, if this is a normal bank loan, my guess is most banks aren't going to want to foreclose on or sue a sitting president. But since we don't know who the loans are from, it certainly gives them leverage in negotiations with a White House or potentially Republican Senate. And this audit, which Trump has talked about, does not sound like it's resolved. And so in addition to the money he could owe lenders, he could owe the IRS an enormous amount of cash. What do you think people should be looking out for when they're reading these stories? I think the most important thing to look out for here is the specificity, particularly when it comes to dollars, because the stuff the Times is reporting on is Trump's explanation of his own financial situation. This is what he told the IRS, not what the IRS is telling somebody else. So I think that's important. These numbers are coming from him. Dan Primack is a business editor at Axios, and he's also host of Axios Recap, our afternoon podcast. There are currently four vaccines for the coronavirus and phase three clinical trials in the U.S. But none of these vaccines are being tested on children, which means they won't be included in the first wave when it's ready to distribute. Caitlin Owens is a healthcare reporter for Axios and writes the Vitals newsletter. Generally, kids will not be receiving this first wave of coronavirus vaccines, which makes sense because kids are not at high risk compared to older adults or people with pre-existing conditions. So they're at the back of the line in terms of the priority list. We also know that kids are more likely to be back in school and be back in environments where there are other people around. Is that a concern? 
we know that kids don't get as severe of infections. We're still trying to figure out their role in getting and spreading the virus. But yeah, they're around a lot of adults. They're around a lot of other kids. And if kids can spread it to either their teachers or other children, that just means that the virus can make its way from family to family throughout the community way easier than if kids were vaccinated or unable to spread the virus at all. The dilemma that gets at the heart of this is that vaccinating kids is really important, but usually not for the children themselves, with those exceptions of kids who are particularly vulnerable. Vaccinating kids is important to getting a better handle on the pandemic. So that's the crux of the problem is how do you balance the ethics of vaccinating children for other people when you're kind of against the clock? Caitlin Owens writes The Vitals newsletter for Axios. Before we go today, all these days working from home maybe means you've heard more birds outside your window. And now scientists in San Francisco are saying the pandemic has actually changed the way birds are communicating with each other. That's the white-crowned sparrow, recorded by researcher Jenny Phillips in 2016, long before lockdowns began. The birds had to alter their calls to be heard over traffic and other city noises. But this spring, a lot of those city sounds dissipated. And although their songs sound clearer, it's just because the noise pollution is gone. Researchers say the birds are actually singing more softly and at lower frequencies. And even though the pre-pandemic noise levels will probably return, it's a good reminder of how much humans affect the world and wildlife around us. That does it for us today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or reach out to me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. If you want more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast recap. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Hold up. 